I'm excited. We're in week two of our identity series, and I'm just going to launch straight into it. We're starting at Genesis, and it starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. At creation, you see the Spirit of God hovering over this formless void. That's how prehistory is described, an empty nothingness. And God speaks over it. He names. As it goes through the creation narrative, he will divide and name. Um, He separates things from one another and gives them definition, but he also connects them together. He brings diversity, difference, and also creates this web of relationships so that there is both difference and unity. That's what God does in the spirit of, uh, in the process of creation. So this morning, this is kind of our starting point. God has made things both different and related. That is what he did in creation. He has made us, you and me. Uh, There's a difference between us. I have a name and an identity. There's a boundary between you and me. If there wasn't, we couldn't relate to one another. But but we're united. We have this relationship. We're, We're made to be in relationship with one another. That's God's intention for the whole of creation, that there would be peace and connection, that we would relate well to one another and that it would be fruitful and joyful. Uh, Awesome. Um, There's a complex beauty about that. Uh, I would love you sometimes today, if you're going for a walk, just to soak in God's creation, the difference that he's made and the beauty of that. We're separate, different, unique, but bound together as part of a whole. That is God's goal for the whole of creation. It is of God and it reflects God. And the goal of sin is to destroy it. God acts to form and sustain a network of interdependent relationships. And if that is what God do, sin can be described as a chaotic force that both explodes and implodes creation, pushing it back to the formless void from which it came. It does it by violently reconfiguring the pattern of interdependence to divide what God has joined and join what God has separated. That is what sin does. It both explodes and implodes creation. It seeks to divide and erase division. Um, Peter described it in his letter as a flood of dissipation. Sin kind of tries to wash over and wipe back and turn back to formless void the diversity and beauty that God has created. Romans described it as a turning away to worthlessness, things that were created unique and beautiful, going back to this state where they've lost that shine. As we talked about last week, our world is kind of caught up in this conflict. You can't escape it. Uh, The beauty of God and creation is here, but also the power of sin is ruling in this world. We aren't very good at managing the balance between those two. Uh, When it comes to diversity and unity, we tend to skew one way or another. 
Some are seeking to erase difference and create cheap unity where everything is the same. Some are seeking to divide and create false division where there should be relationship. We're in the midst of that struggle and we kind of talked about that last week. What we're trying to do as human beings in this world of sin is recreate creation without the creator being a part of it. To build a kingdom without the king. Uh, A lot of our work as human beings is about this. Um, Instead of finding peace with our creator who created us, we want to build on a foundation of sand and try and make our own kingdom in our own image without the source of life. How are you feeling? All right, hang in there. We're getting to the good news. Um, the tragedy in all of this is that when we build without God, when we build out of brokenness, we can't help but build that brokenness into what we make. Our fractured relationship with God, our fractured identity, our misplaced desires means that we can't create healthy relationship or healthy identity we tend to dehumanise others or idealise them. So our natural response is to reject in others what we want to reject in ourselves, which we haven't dealt with. That's why we react, respond so violently to people at times, is because we see in them something that's in ourselves. Or we cling to other people too much, things, ideas, other people. Um, we, we think that they will give us what we need and so we cling to them. We are separate from those we should be related to and codependent on those we should be a bit more separate from. All of this comes back to identity, and that's why this series is so important. That's why I want to spend some time in looking at identity, because we live in a world that is searching externally for something that is intended to come from God and be part of who we are internally. We allow our misplaced desire to lead us and live out of our brokenness instead of turning back to God, finding identity in Him, which then can flow out in life and recreate. So when we're off kilter, when our wants and desires get twisted, we chase after a world centred on us and removed from the Creator and his purpose. But, but through the gospel, God offers a different way. Offensive to modernity and post-modernity, actually. The gospel holds that the world cannot be reconciled unless it's first reconciled to God. The gospel holds out that what we couldn't do in our broken state, God has done for us. He has bought peace and reconciliation. Um, We can't build paradise without dealing with the fall and on the cross, God has dealt with sin once and for all and cancelled it and destroyed it. He gives us the gift of a renewed identity that is found in him. In Christ, God offers himself. He deals with sin He offers reconciliation and a renewed, full identity. He invites us, actually, to share in his identity. He says, 
Jesus says, the life, the relationship, the fullness that I have, I now give that to you. Uh, It says in Romans, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. It talks about this concept of being crucified with Christ. That's not just a one-time event. It's it's something that we now live out our life in this process of crucifixion and rebirth, putting to death, putting aside the things in us that are broken, the parts of our identity where we're trying to form ourselves out of our insecurities and allowing God to speak into and transform our identity so that we are whole and that we're at peace with him, to create a new heart in us, a full heart, a renewed identity based in our relationship with God. When that happens, it changes everything. We no longer encounter other people as enemies or as tools to be used, but we encounter them as brothers and sisters. Um, Like us and different, and also like us, broken but called into relationship with God. That's how we now relate to the world in Christ Jesus, with grace but also truth. Fullness, faith, actually, is about clothing ourselves with Christ. That's what it means to believe. That's what we're here to do, learning how to love in the fullness and freedom that comes from Jesus and our new identity in God. It's about learning from Jesus and following his pattern and example and becoming an apprentice to him so that we learn what it means to be truly human and what it means to truly live. It's about learning from him how to now relate to the world and the people around us. That's the offer that God gives us. Come with me and learn how to live life how to relate, how to be who you were created to be. I really hope that you uh, have made that choice and are excited about the life that God wants to renew in you. Um, Jesus is our living example of how to do this. Uh, So I'm here preaching to you. I'm preaching to you not because I have great authority on how to do this. Talk to Ava, my daughter, and talk to her about how well I manage this sometimes. But I'm speaking to you as someone who's learning from Jesus how to do this and hopefully can help you to learn from him as well. But ultimately, Jesus is our example. In the Gospels, you see Jesus living out a life of wholeness and identity. You see him radically welcoming others. Jesus didn't act as though he could be tainted. He was generous and warm. He didn't enforce his boundaries upon others, but he held on tightly to the truth as well. 
He gave generously of his resources and time and love with a confidence that he had an abundance behind him, that God would provide everything he needed to be generous and giving and bless others. Jesus made space for others. Incredible when you think about it. There was a, there's a cost to making space to others. It means putting aside what you want or your pride or your arrogance. But Jesus time and time again made space for others, even the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst. He welcomed others and identified with them. The good, the bad, even his enemies. He made space for them, blessed them, loved them. He scandalously included anyone in his fellowship, but he also made the intolerant demand of obedience. Of, he made the condescending offer of forgiveness. He said to people, you are welcome to come in, but you need to change, and there's things that you're doing that are not helpful and not good, and they need to be rejected. That is offensive to our kind of liberal Western world. How, who am I to tell anyone how to live? Well, actually, Jesus says, yeah, I'm here to tell you how to live. I know how you should live and what it looks like to have wholeness. And that's the only offer I'm giving you. Come to me and learn my ways. He never lost his clarity on God's high calling for people. He loved, he forgave, but he never excused his love was unconditional, but relationship with him was conditional. It demanded response and transformation. He said, anyone can join me, but if you're going to join me, this is where we're going to go. It may cost you your life. It will definitely require you to change. He held tightly to the truth of who God is and God's calling on every single person. In other words, he loved people as they were, but called them to transformation and holiness. He called out sin and had zero tolerance for hypocrisy. His mission was about radically welcoming people. It was about renaming things. If we go back to that process of creation, Jesus was about renaming things. He would take a tax collector, a sinner, a prostitute, a leper, and say, you're not actually defined by those things. You're a love child of God, and I'm renaming you as that. But likewise, he recreated things. He made clean things out of unclean things. People cut off from community, deeply at odds with themselves, practicing all kinds of sin. He said, I'm here so that you should no longer live like that. And that's the life that I'm calling you to. He maintained both really strong boundary, differentiation, and love. Which is great, but here's the thing. He calls us to do the same. We are meant to do what Jesus did. Love, but not tolerate sin. It's such a daunting call. This, this is where things really hit home for me as I think about identity, as I think about Jesus. Jesus called us to live that kind of life. Love and be loved. To change and bring change to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's what God calls us to do. 
How do you do that? How do you love and be holy at the same time? How do you care for those who are deeply broken and hurt without excusing or accepting that they should stay like that? Doing one of those things seems at least possible. Doing both seems ridiculous. I don't know if you're with me in that. Maybe you guys have got it all sorted out. But I find that an incredibly challenging idea. Love and remain holy and committed to truth. It's much easier just to go, well, let's not worry about the mess of trying to hold those two together. Let's just choose one and then go hard on that one, which is often what happens in our world. So a great place to solve this is by going back to the person of Jesus. I love Jesus. Not just in uh, I love Jesus as an object of worship, I love Jesus in the way that he relates to people. I am in awe and worship for the way that he lived his life and the things that he did. I love seeing him live this out. Um, Right throughout the Gospels, you'll see Jesus offering both radical welcome and um, right alongside that holy, uncompromising truth. And he just brings them together beautifully in this incredibly um, attractive way. Um, Extreme invitation, where he just says to everyone, come to me, if you're thirsty, come. And then radical challenge to say, lay down your life, take up your cross and follow me. So there are many examples. I just want to talk through one. It's this one. It's the example of the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know the story. A woman was brought towards Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes tell him, this, the law of God is unequivocal. She was caught in the very act of adultery, and it says that she must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? I love that the Pharisees already understand that Jesus is gracious. They think they've got him because they know that he won't want to put this woman to death. Um, they think they've got him dead to rights. They know he's a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And they think that he's going to compromise on the law and the truth of God and let her off. And they'll have him. But he doesn't do it. He bends down, starts riding in the dirt. He thinks. He... he, (laughs) I love that too, that Jesus actually needed to take the time to say, how do I in this situation hold these things together? My love for this woman and the truth of God, that adultery breaks relationships and is not what we call people to. It's one of the kind of foundational sins that breaks um, our community. He bends down, he thinks, he prays, He says, Father, help me hold on to grace and truth. Well, I believe he does that. The Gospels don't say what was going on inside his head. I wish they did sometimes. But what he does is he straightens up. He looks each person in the eye and says, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, the oldest first, 
they drop their stones and go home. Praise God that this is who Jesus is, that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. When we're dead to rights and we deserve punishment, he doesn't seek to punish. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. But at the same time, I don't excuse you or minimize the sin that is there. Notice that last line. Go now and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you, but I'm calling you to something different. Be transformed. That's what it looks like to live a love of both incredible grace whilst holding true to the vision of what it means to be a holy human being created in the image of God. That's how Jesus is teaching us to live. So if you could go do that, that would be awesome. Uh, Maybe just as I finish up, I'll give you some advice on how to do that. As someone who's struggling and wrestling through how to do it myself. Um, Firstly, can I just say, as a church here, it may look like we've got it all together and we're just a well-oiled machine that uh, does worship and uh, (laughs) organisation amazingly, spectacularly well. Believe it or not, that's not why we're here. That's not what we're hoping to do. The number one thing we're hoping to do as a community here is speak truth in love to one another. To actually offer this kind of challenge and invitation that Jesus offered. That's what we're seeking to offer to one another. To speak the truth in love. Both of those are important. Truth by itself condemns. Love by itself excuses. Truth and love brings power and transforms identity. So every week that I'm speaking to you, that's what I'm trying to do. Speak the truth in love. It's what our small group leaders do. When we gather together around the word of God together and when we share our lives together, what we're trying to do is listen to the truth of God and in love encourage one another to put it into practice in our lives. It's about uh, challenge and invitation. Inviting people into community and saying, we love you, God loves you, you're welcome. But also then putting that challenge. And he loves you too much to let you stay that way. So how can we encourage you to just take that next step of following him? How can we help you to listen to him and put into practice what he says? Ephesians says this, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there, by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. As we speak the truth in love, as we challenge and encourage one another to grow, we grow up into Christ and become a mature reflection of Jesus. We start to live the way that Jesus lived with that woman, the way he lived his entire life. We do it with an understanding that God wants to change not just our hearts, but our actions as well. That 
We're not yet the people that we're meant to be. I'm not yet the person that I was created to be. I hope that I'm growing. Sometimes it seems like I'm taking a step backwards. But um, one of the foundational things that is different about us as Christians is that we believe that our identity is not much an external struggle where we have to try and exert our identity on the world or um, protect our culture or create a world where everyone's just welcomed and it's, there's no difference. The thing that is different about us as a Christian is that we believe our identity is mainly an internal struggle. It's about our hearts being transformed. It's about allowing the Word and the Spirit of God to transform our wants and desires and how we think about ourselves and the people around us. It's about bringing ourselves in line with Jesus Christ and His way and being taught by Him. It's about humility and faith, that ability to come to God and say, Father, may your will be done in me. Not what I want, but what you want. It's what you see Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, I don't want to go this way, but I trust you enough to know that you have good things in store and you are faithful. We're meant to be like Jesus. Uh, I need to put in a warning note here. I'm just finishing up, but we aren't meant to do the mission that Jesus has done. We aren't Jesus. He saved the whole world. That is done. No one else has to do that. Also, we're not Jesus. We're just humble human beings. A big part of identity, a big part of faith is thinking of ourselves with sober humility, just getting our heads around who we are, that we're not the centre of the universe, that we're not called to be amazingly incredible, but that we are simply humble servants of God and live our life well with that. We do two things at the same time as human beings. We minimise who we are and we overshoot on who we are. And faith in God brings us back to this understanding of how we can just live simply as his people and enjoy being who he created us to be without trying to strive and get more and more and more. That's what God does in us. Um, He promises his Holy Spirit in that. Uh, The Holy Spirit, I've got a Bible passage here, but you can read that in your own time, I think. Um, On the night when he, uh, before he was crucified, Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm sending an advocate to you. My spirit will live in you. He will convict you of sin. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will teach you. What the Holy Spirit does is live in us and create um, and lead us to rediscover our identity in God, to develop the character of Jesus. Each and every one of you who believes has the Holy Spirit living in you, who is seeking to restore your heart, to speak into that and uh, help you in your distress as well. So... My encouragement would... Actually, not my encouragement, my commitment is that we're going to be a people who do these things, who listen to the Holy Spirit, who are open and say, God, have your way in us, who respond 
and allow him to shape our identities. So why don't you pray for me as we lead into communion? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way in us. Holy Spirit, thank you that uh, we have the power and presence and grace, Lord God, of you living in us. Right now we pray that you would have your way in us. Encourage us, convict us where we need to change. Right now, today, this morning, we open ourselves to you. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that you have freed us and set us free and given us a new name and new identity. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Teach us your ways, we pray. Form your character in us. Allow that identity that we have been given to seep deep down into the um, depths of our soul and bring life. Form your character in us. Help us to love, to not think of ourselves more highly than we should, to be people of truth and grace. Jesus, we humbly come before you. We confess that many of the things that we've been fighting against aren't external to us, but are actually internal. They come from our hearts, and so we ask you to teach our hearts. Form your truth and your identity in us. Make us more the people that you, were, you created us to be, and help us to be more concerned with others than ourselves. Help us to grow, we pray, that we might see your light and your life flow out from us into the world around us. Amen.